countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the decision to preview deep dives to my immediate changing of mind and deep diving something completely and totally different than I said just last episode, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello. Hello, Jonathan. How did I nail that? Uh, I, I tried, man. I tried. Like, legitimately, that was a tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah. It's on purpose, too. Yeah, I didn't doubt that for a heartbeat. Halfway through that, I was like, oh, you, you, you. Well, you deserve it because you're like, why don't we re- why don't we preview the next couple of deep dives? I'm like, are you sure? And you're like, yeah, it'll be fine. And then, and then you immediately changed it. You son of a bitch. Well, I mean, we always everything is subject to change. Yeah, everything. Yeah. But why bring it up? I, I knew it was going to happen. I just should have cut it out. I just should have cut it out. But I was like, you know well, what? That's on you. I, you own that. You still said it. You still agreed to it. Do you want to know my thought process? Is it going to be interesting? I don't know. Maybe. If not, you can cut it out. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at all the games that I've got queued up uh, for, you know, for deep dives. And I notice that I've got two Aliens games now. And I look up online and I'm like, oh, when did Aliens come out? Oh, holy crap. It came out in 1986 in July. July of 86. Hey, it's an anniversary month, so let's do the two Aliens games in the two episodes of um, of July for the anniversary. So that, that was my thought process. Just seemed, seemed more fun that way. Mm. Mm. So happy anniversary, Aliens! Alien or Aliens came out in July? Aliens. Aliens. And both of the board games that we are reviewing in July are Aliens board games okay okay yeah because i was gonna say i thought alien day was in april and i thought that was because of that anniversary july 18th yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. july 18th 1986 you want to hear how much movie stuff has changed directed by like, james cameron made for a budget of 18.5 million dollars it took in about hold on hold on i'm dropping this into my inflation category uh calculator just to understand what we're talking about here okay okay you said 18 point uh okay 18.5 million yes 18.500000 uh and the year was 1986 so that would have only been a 44 and a half million dollar budget by today's standards which is still infinitesimally small yes and at the box office, it made it's got a number here that's 131 to 183 million. Let's just call it 157 because apparently that is the average between the two. How much is that in today's dollars? Uh, 378 million, just shy of 378. Yeah, yeah. That's a hell of a return, man. Can you imagine a tentpole action movie, sci fi action movie costing 44 million these days? Yeah, but also, how much has the American population grown since then? I don't get what that has to do with anything. Because if you have more people, more people go to movies. Right, right, right. But I, there's movies that the effects budget is $44 million these days. Well, yeah. And, I mean, if you go back and watch it, I mean, the, the effects on that are cutting edge, too, for the time. And it still highly, highly relies on practical effects. 
And so much of that movie still holds up so well. Except for you can see wires in a few parts because of HD. Thanks, HD. Anyway, Aliens. It's a thing. It happened in July. It's been 35 years, which in and of itself is mind-blowing. I saw this movie in the theaters. <laughs> Given my age, I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> you were, what, nine? Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I was nine. My dad took me to see Aliens in the movie theater. I don't know what that says about me as a human or my father as a parent, but you know what? As a 43-year-old man, I'm standing here saying, thanks, Dad. That was the greatest gift ever. The 80s were a magical, magical time. Yeah, but you wouldn't show that to, like, Lincoln, would you? Lincoln's around nine by Hell no. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not a chance, man. No way. Hey, fun fact. The next year, when I was 10, well, not even 10, because I turned 10 in November, and this was released in July of 87, my dad took me to see RoboCop. So I was eight when I saw Aliens in the movie theater. Nice. (laughs) And then I saw RoboCop at nine. And let's face it, there's nothing in that movie that a nine-year-old should be seen. No. No. Oh, man, I'll never forget the nightmares of that that guy that got dumped in the the toxic waste and gets exploded by the car running into him. (laughs) There's no reason, none whatsoever, that I should have seen that movie. And yet there were RoboCop toys aimed at children based off of that movie. That oh, man. there was a whole RoboCop sh- show. Remember, they, they made the cartoon? They made two, actually, I found out. Toy Galaxy did a retrospective on this. It was fascinating. God, like, what was the world thinking back then? The 80s were indeed a magical different time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if some of these changes were for the, for the better or worse, but let me tell you, I got to see Aliens in the movie theater. <laughs> Well, I think that documentary about Action Park kind of summed up everything with the 80s, which was, you know. Oh, man, isn't that the truth? Yeah, just, I don't know, just let things happen. It was a different time. You'll probably be fine. I tell the kids it was a different time. Yeah, just let it happen. You'll probably be fine. It'll be fine. (laughs) Well, speaking of time, we're a little bit deep into the episode, but it's time to say thank you to all our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on. We appreciate you, and we love you. Thank you so very much. And Jonathan, happy National Hand Roll Day. Is it Sushi Day? No. Sushi Day is at other times of the year, international and national. A hand roll is a specific type of sushi that we celebrate and love on July 6th, which is totally today. So uh, go eat some and take a picture of it, put it on the internet, and use that hashtag, National Hand Roll Day. There you go. Happy July 6th, everybody. Yeah. What do you do two days after you celebrate freedom ringing? Go and have yourself a hand roll. Heck Yeah. Can they make it red, white, and blue? I don't know what you could have blue that's sushi. I don't know. A little food coloring in the rice, maybe? I don't know. But that's the that's the obvious candidate for white. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. You 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 do the whole thing up, and then you use red food coloring on one half one third, blue food coloring on uh, the other third, and then the other third remains white. Red, white, blue. You know, there's marketing in here that somebody's missing because you could sell your freedom hand rolls. That's right. <laughs> Here's your, here's your, here's your cuisine from another country, uh, but it's totally freedom. And the the colors arranged in that order, it's totally not the French flag. Just just roll no, <laughs> no, totally not, totally not, America. <laughs> Can you make this hand roll in the shape of a star? No, no, they're all they're all kind of conical or round. Doesn't work like that. Well, it's time for our first segment of the show, and that is, of course, our off-the-shelf segment. This is where we talk about all the wonderful stuff that we've had off of our shelves 
onto our tables, reading tables, whatever it is, out of the boxes and into our hearts. Robert, we have fans. And yes. the, fan, the fans have been doing things. Yeah, Ray has been reading The Hunt for Red October, and you asked him how it was, and he wrote you several paragraphs, which I'm assuming you haven't re- read on the Discord. No, let me go look right now. I love this one, though. I'll start by saying I'm enjoying the book, and it holds up pretty well, but it's kind of losing me in one respect. It's almost masturbatory in the way it revels in the superiority of the U.S. over the Soviets. Every U.S. character is awesome and makes all the right decisions, and the Soviet make mistakes and get countered at every turn. Yeah, but, I mean... That is a function of the late 1980s when this book was written. Right, right, right. But again, Reaganomics, baby. <laughs> like this is this is Reagan. This is Reagan heyday. Like this makes sense. This all makes perfect sense. There's really not much tension between when the protagonist can't do anything wrong and never have any setbacks. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's one thing that the movie does better. To be to be brutally honest, like the mm. movie handles that in a much better way. That's true. I've never actually read the book, so I, I all I can think of is the movie. No, I mean, Ray, Ray is absolutely right. And you could you could say that about all of Tom Clancy's work. And truly, I mean, like if there's one, say, last 50 years author that that you could levy this kind of uh, criticism at, you know, Clancy would definitely take the cake. His writing is without a doubt a function of the time period that he that that he was writing in without a doubt. Oh, look, Ray even says, that said, I can understand why the book would be written this way. I'm guessing that a lot of readers in the mid-80s loved reading uh, reading and feeling superior to the Soviets. Yes, yes, to the, absolutely. That was, a, that was a function of the age. So I'll be curious, I'll be curious. He says he's getting into the final act now, so we'll see. I don't think anything's going to change your impressions, bud. <laughs> Ray writes here, I'll let you know if the, if the final act, where things should get a bit more challenging, changes my impressions. Uh, no, spoiler alert, when it comes to Tom Clancy, no. And then uh, uh, Brennan actually arrived in Portland today. He's he's in my town right now. Oh, that's exciting. Are you going to get to see him? Yes, yes, uh, on Thursday. So we're going to go to dinner out here somewhere. Oh, that'll be good. That'll be good. Say hi for me. Many hugs. Will do. I'm not much of a hugger, but we'll see how I feel at the time. You used to hug me all the time. I'm, I don't inst- I, I will I will take a hug if if one is thrown at me, but I'm not I'm not very good about dishing them out. Oh, well, when I finally come out there, dude, it's yeah, on like Donkey Kong. Oh, are we are we just going to like hold each other like for hours? I'm OK with that. Just just sit on the sofa and just just get get everything out, because not only do we have to like work off the, the last couple of years of, you know, lack of hugs, but now we got a bank for the future. Yeah, that's fair. I'll allow that. <laughs> Anyway, Brendan, uh, he apparently has been playing Amber, which I'm assuming is the old school Amber Diceless role playing system. I, but he has not confirmed that. But he is having a lot of shenanigans, which you can read about over on the RPG talk. So, yeah, good times. Good times by the fans. People should talk more about what they're doing. Well, where do you where do you want to start with our stuff? I have What's tickling no, your fancy this this week. I, I am. I am. I'll start with reading. I, I had to turn my name off, of and I'm a little sweaty, reading. Jonathan. So I I will just do anything at this point. It's all right. It's, well, let's do let's do reading because the name of your book is interesting and it has my attention. Oh oh, it shouldn't it shouldn't that, that that's one of those that maybe should be under RPGs maybe not. So Dennis Ditweiler, I found out he wrote a, another Call of Cthulhu adventure, uh, which was set in the Lovecraftian dreamlands, which I've always been kind of fascinated by. So I got my mitts on it, and it's called The Sense of the Sleight of Hand Man. And I like it. I would really like to run it, but there are a lot of 
I don't know if I'd call them parallels, but it's got a general vibe that is very close to impossible landscapes because it's it's kind of weird and different and not a typical Call of Cthulhu adventure and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever run it, which is a shame because I actually really do like it. And, and it's got one heck of an opening number because instead of being like investigators or, you know, Delta Green agents or whatever, it's set in the 1920s and all of the characters are supposed to be opium addicts who are getting taken in to uh to talk to their opium supplier because they're behind on their payments yeah yeah and then shenanigans occur shenanigans occur from that surely not yes but no it's it's a really interesting adventure if you've ever read uh like the dream quest of unknown kadith and the doom that came to sarnath like those are his dreamland stories and they're very strange and this this definitely tries to capture that but again, like plot beat wise, it kind of reminds me of Impossible Landscapes a lot. So, yeah, it's weird. I don't know if I'll get to run it anytime soon because of Impossible Landscapes, which is a shame. Well, there you go. There you go. I have been reading. Of course you have. Um, I am almost done. I think I have about 100 pages left in the newest uh, Expeditionary Force novel, Breakaway. And after the the slightly off tone uh, pace of the last book, this one's a return to form. I'm quite quite pleased. Nice. And there's actually been a couple times where I have legitimately laughed out loud from something one of the characters said. So that's always a good sign. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, not that the last one was not great uh, because it was. It just was. I would say the weakest of the entire series. So return to form. Good stuff. Where do you want to go next? Mm. I'm sweaty, Jonathan. Make decisions for me. My, I'm, it's been hot. Let's go to RPGs. That's next. Okay. We played our final session of Delta Green uh, until the hiatus. <laughs> yeah, for the two months. Because <laughs> all of our vacations line up perfectly to make gaming suck. Yes, yes. Yeah, that happens. But what are you going to do? Yeah, it's yeah. really funny. Like Everybody in the group is going on vacation, but we're each taking a different week. Or two. <laughs> or two, yeah. So, is what it is. It's going to be two months, but we are going to do something fun as a one-off if I can pull it all together, which I think I can. So, we won't spoil that too much. But, uh, yeah, some interesting RPG news to come. Man, I was having a weird night that night. Yeah, you weren't the only one. I forgot to ask you, what what what'd you think? I was really enjoying myself. The storyline was great. I was very frustrated with the simple action of picking up a bottle. <laughs> tube whatever you want to call it yes 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 like, i don't know like if i was to make a call i, I probably would have cut that scene at the couple rolls earlier <laughs> because it was getting to be ridiculous like it was starting to go into like uh uh what do you call it um like buster keaton territory yeah well there was fun stuff you could find i was getting that gambler's fallacy thing where it's like surely you can't screw this up you can't flood this many die, die rolls. And it's like, no, no, you could. You could flood that yeah, many die yeah. rolls. It, it also didn't help that I was fighting a migraine that night. Like, I actually ended up going to bed right after the session, and I barely slept that night because my migraine actually spiked pretty bad that night. So if I was a little off that night, I'm sorry. I just was not feeling great. Well, that's a shame. Ah, it happens. What are you going to do? So Ray uh, is going to start running a D&D campaign for his friends. And he started asking me for the advice because apparently I'm a good dungeon master, which which Impossible Landscapes is testing that opinion of myself. Holy God. Yeah, but that is a, a highly. Oh, my God. That, that's yes. a high end module. That's that's not where somebody's cutting their teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. 
anyway, um, but yeah, yeah. So he he sent me his outline and kind of like what he wants to do, and uh, I was looking over it and I was giving him some some ideas. And he he's got he has got he has got a plot that is it, it, Ray. No offense, but if you're new, he, it's ambitious. I, I I'm crossing my fingers for you, but he's a uh, he he's doing a thing. I don't think works particularly well in D and D, which is he's going to deal with people who are gray actors, you know, who aren't necessarily good or evil. They're kind of in the middle and hard to tell. And I don't know if that works great in D and D, but we'll find out. I'm kind of curious to see how it rolls. And then he wanted help with a boss encounter and, uh, and he had this idea for it and hopefully none of his players listen to this. Cause I'm about to say it out loud or maybe I shouldn't, you know, he didn't tell me not to, so it's his fault. Uh, he wanted to have a mecha goblin and he's describing this to me and it's totally one of the shredder goblins from uh, World of Warcraft, except I don't think he's ever played World of Warcraft, you know, uh-huh. um, but he was to- it's like, yeah, it's going to be a goblin and a mech with like a sword. And I like took a picture from World of Warcraft. I'm like, I'm, he's like, I'm like, like this. And he's like, yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, that's funny. So he's asking me like, you know, what what would um, what would you reskin? If you had the, you know, like if you're going to reskin a monster to do that. And I'm like, hold on, son. Hold on, son. Hold, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you straight here. I'm going to set you straight. And, and so I went and I made him a, a encounter because I am good at that. And I'm sending you the link to it right now. So uh, let's see. Yeah, that makes sense. You think the reach is long enough on the steam powered blade? 10 feet. Yeah. Well, I mean, like human beings got a wingspan of of six feet if they're six foot tall. How big is the mega goblin? They're they're he's large, but he's standing in a five foot square, sir, or he's standing in a ten by ten square. Ten feet's pretty big. That's, I mean, okay, because he's got a four by four square that he's standing in because he's large. That means that he can effectively hit uh, a lot of stuff because he's just okay. Big. Now, then, then when you when you say it like that, I'll I'll, I'll allow it. I, that, I'm. Just poking at your poking at your your logic. Mm-hmm. Is the stash of javelins uh, infinite? Yeah, why not? I mean, most combats don't last long enough where that's going to get insane. You know, like it's not like the combat's going to last thirty rounds. It's like, does he have thirty javelins up there? It's going to last like I don't know. Usually between two and five, and even even at ten, like it's you know, it's like yeah, he's got ten up there. That's fine. <laughs> no, I really like it. The only thing is, I would add a negative in the charge. Uh, that, you know, like you have to pass by a certain amount or the Mecha Goblin can trip and get stunned for a, for a turn. Well, th- this is supposed to be a boss encounter, so it's supposed to be a little scary. I, I, I oh, didn't okay. get, I, I didn't get of it a negative just because I didn't They also have to. a typo in multi-attack. Well, whatever, I don't care. My keyboard's <laughs> Is there, is there a double letter in there? Because that, that happens all the time. No, it says multi-attack. My keyboard's probably because there's no um, hyphen in multi-attack and therefore it's not an actual word. Mm. Like, I feel like the Mecha Goblin should have a, a big set of speakers on the outside that's blaring snaps the power. <laughs> also, there is a drawback. It has to end its movement in a free square. So if it can't completely move through something, it, it does get stuck. So. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And it has to completely move through somebody. So it's got a it's got a legendary oh, so action. You're. you're I was looking at a snapshot of it. I, I, I wasn't looking at the original. No, yeah. even when I look at the original, it uh, the screenshot cuts off. It ends its turn in a free. Anyway, yeah, I made that for Ray. He said he's going to use it. He's very happy. I like it. I think it's cool. It's got some good attacks. It's uh, very thematic. I like it. I approve. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a big fan with monsters of renaming their attacks to be more interesting. It was something I noticed with uh, uh, 
war machine actually but in, you know instead of like just saying that the war beast had like you know it's like claw attack or whatever like you know for the warp wolves it would be like a claw attack but for the uh the trolls it would be a big meaty fist and it's like does it need to be called a big meaty fist a big meaty fist actually isn't a weapon really but it's like yeah but it gives it character you know and and i think more dnd monsters should do that and just instead of saying it's like it hits it with its claw you know it's like it should be like razor talons or some nonsense because it, it <laughs> evokes like it evokes stuff in your brain that makes you think of that stuff so it's something i like doing with my critters uh i approve so there you go helping ray how about some video games i see you have been uh playing a, a new uh strategy game yeah yeah so planet coaster is is on consoles and the ps5 version uh is on sale right now um you can oh, get nice. the, the edition that has all of the currently available dlc for the uh the console version uh, for cheaper than you can buy the base game because that and that version only is currently on sale. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like fifty eight fifty to get like everything, and it's sixty dollars to get the game. So I'm like, okay, I'll, oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's yeah. a great deal too. There's a ton of DLC for that. There's not as much for the console edition. There's only six at this point, plus the oh stuff. on the PC. There's a metric ton. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I I don't know. Well, I could look. I'll look later. Um, but yeah, still, I got it. It's fun. Um, I actually went and bought a wireless, uh, like a cheapo Logitech wireless mouse and keyboard so I can plug it into my PlayStation and play it like that. Cause playing it on the controllers is a little bit obtuse. Like Jurassic um, Park Evolution. Yeah, I'd say that's the understatement of the millennium. Yeah. Like Jurassic Park Evolution's fine and same with City Skylines, but it's just, there's a little too much fiddliness. Planet you Coaster's know? a lot more fiddly. Yeah. It's like Planet Zoo. It's, there's just a lot more to it. Yeah. But apparently, if you plug a mouse and keyboard in, it just work. It just activates, and it works like the PC version. So yeah. Oh my gosh, Planet Coaster is eleven dollars and twenty four cents right now. Yeah, it's pretty old at this point. Or fifty six twenty seven. It's on sale right now. Fifty six twenty seven for Planet Coasters, The Monsters, Night Rider, Back to the Future, The Spooky Pack, The Adventure Pack, The Studios Pack, The Vintage Pack, The World's Fair Pack, The Magnificent Rides Collection the classic rides collection and the ghostbusters dlc i might have to buy this yeah actually the the console edition has everything but the ghostbusters yeah 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 Yeah, it's all there okay yeah yeah yeah. so that's it the yeah the current one currently on sale uh, you have to buy ghostbusters separately which is still 15 dollars. but the other ones are it's it's all for 60 bucks which is real good that's pretty amazing yeah and since i don't have a computer that can run it really well i was like i'll just get on the ps5 it'll be fine i'll be happy and there's some cool stuff. People have made like parks and uh, rides. Somebody made this like Death Star ride. It's like really awesome. Like it, there's <laughs> this cool. giant, you know, Death Star and you like enter it and fly around. And about the only thing it's missing is you can't put like custom music on it. Like I know you can on the PC, which kind of sucks. But no, oh, well, what are you going to do? That kind of makes sense. Although anyway. for a while, if you remember when the Xbox 360 first came out, you could uh, rip a CD onto it and, and play custom music in your games. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe they have that. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. What's a CD, Robert? I know that that would be. <laughs> <my opinion. laughs> well, I've been playing some games. Um, my son wanted to play Call of Duty World War Two, so I reinstalled it, even though it's been out for a few years. And uh, as it turns out, haven't lost the skill set there. I was killing, killing like crazy. Hmm. He was impressed. It's always good when you can impress your kids playing with your video game skills. 
Nice. He's always reminding me of how old I am. So you know what? In this case, Dad was outscoring you. Sorry, son. Uh, in addition, um, I hopped back into Sea of Thieves with some friends, and we were having a good time on the high seas. Uh, we are preparing ourselves for some of the new stuff that got announced at E3 that we're really stoked about. And then I tried the uh, Dark Alliance video game, the Dungeons and Dragons. Oh man, that by all accounts is a dumpster fire. I'm so I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I saw the dumbest thing, Jonathan. So uh, apparently in that game, uh, if you hit things with ranged attacks, uh, they don't realize they're being attacked. So you can literally get through the entire game by just standing back with Caddy Bride and shooting from a distance and nothing will stop you. What was your experience? Positive podcast, Robert. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. It needs some patches. I think there's probably some patches inbound. Yeah, well, they maybe. I don't know, man. But that's just one man's opinion. That's just my opinion. Yeah, Who they knows? need to like not do that and just like release a game when it's finished. I'd rather wait longer and get it when it's done. There's like, some good ideas, and it could turn into something interesting. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, but I mean... Not every game manages to get through that. Like, it's it's ridiculous how many games are like that these days, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't expect games to be perfect. But, you know, if you if one quarter of the characters you can be in that game effectively break the game, like, that's a problem. <laughs> it should not have shipped like that. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I guess we'll find out uh, how it progresses. Well, I wasn't planning on getting it until the first major patch with the expansion came out because they said they were going to add couch co-op with that one. Oh, but, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. That yeah. That's actually my big disappointment. The new Diablo game isn't going to have couch co-op. No, Diablo really? 2. Yeah, Diablo 2 Resurrected will not have couch co-op. Um, that's a weird thing to not have on it. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's it, it. I could see why. The game's really old and janky and it, it's kind of weird. So I could see them not doing that. I mean, Diablo 4 will. They've already said that out loud. So I'm, I got a lot of love for couch co-op. So I'm 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 any game that has couch co-op instantly has my uh, attention. Yeah. Well, if, if it had co- couch co-op, I probably would buy it brand new because me and Gina actually really like games like that because she gets motion sick really easily. But for some reason, like Diablo games don't do it for her. So, yeah, it's one of the few games that we her and I can play together. There you go. Besides like Mario Party and stuff like that. So, yeah, we have a good time on the Diablo games. All right, well, let's jump over to board games. What have you been playing, sir, other than um, what we're playing together? Nothing. Which I, th- I think we're still... Didn't we talk about the beginning of this uh, yes. Beyond the Sun game in the last episode? Yes, we have not and progressed I think we've taken, further. what, four turns since then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, the problem with that game is sometimes you, you do actions in it, and it requires that, the other that players... That have an action put- yet for, for another player, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, yeah, it just, it lags. I mean, don't get me wrong. I liked playing the game when we were all there talking about it, doing it. That was one thing. But the asynchronous stuff is, is, yeah, I have no idea what's going on anymore. I'm almost out of people somehow. And I'm like, where the, what the hell have I been doing? Dude, with I did people? run out of people and it's completely like stalled me. So we'll have to see if I can get myself out of this mess. Yeah. Well, without people to, to burn, it's kind of hard. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on, man. I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> story of my life man uh well, if you haven't just described the last five years of my life uh seven wonders we're also playing seven wonders is working okay it's good that it's a drafting game because we all take our turns simultaneously so you know there's always more to do 
Yeah, that, true. Very for true. That, for and that if you happen face. to be the last person to go any given turn, then you're also taking two turns, which is kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I almost want to suggest that we play like Diplomacy or, or one of those old like play-by-mail games that's kind of designed to be played asynchronously, you know? It's Maybe not that bad. would work better. Yeah, it's not a bad plan. Not that I've ever played Diplomacy. It's just, it's a thought. It's rougher than you think. Diplomacy can break friendships. Like, that's not, it's a no-joke game. Oh, yeah. The uh, the only gaming convention I ever went to, my dad played a Diplomacy game. It was kind of fascinating watching him. He got taken out pretty early because he decided to shank somebody, and then he got shanked back and lost. <laughs> yeah, that all tracks. That all tracks. Uh, well, I've also been playing um, some Marvel United with a lot of the expansions, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm um played the sinister six expansion and that so far has been my favorite of the expansions and then um actually taught welcome to to a friend of mine uh we went to uh lunch which is a new and different experience these days because i haven't lunched with anybody in months in an actual restaurant at an actual table so i took welcome to and when we were done we sat down and played a couple of rounds and and it was fun like i and also by the way mandatory expansion pack if you buy welcome to buy the dry erase boards they are so worth it they make life so easy yeah i I have them already uh and then i've been playing the game that we are deep diving today a lot of aliens another glorious day in the core nice which brings us to miniatures and i'll talk about this in a moment but there was some building to do in aliens robert so i have been doing miniatures lately Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to construct them during the podcast and I have to do my best to edit out all the clips that come through your microphone. <laughs> no, I did them all. Uh, I did them all in one, uh, two evenings, two evenings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's nice. It's nice. I don't have to edit that out, Jonathan. I appreciate that. You're welcome, buddy. Love you. Love you, too. Uh, which brings us finally to movies and TV. So... I forgot to finish Love, Death, and Robots. I need to finish it, so please, no spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, where do you leave off on then? Uh, whenever we last spoke. Oh, oh, so uh, the the Snow in the Desert is the last one? Yeah, I think I've got two You haven't done the... Cr- Holy Christ, you haven't done the Christmas episode yet. No. Oh. Let me, let, me, let me tell you, I'm going there oh, right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> loading, loading, loading. The, the very special Christmas episode of Love, Death, and Robots is perfection uh where is love death and robots okay so you got all through the house life hutch and the drowned giant those are all really good those are all really I liked, good uh the tall grass so yeah yeah tall grass was creepy Lo- yeah uh, uh properly creepy so the ones i've got i've got uh three left all through the house Amazing. Life Hutch and the good. Drowned Giant. Very good. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I really enjoyed Snow in the Desert. Pop Squad was a major freaking downer. Uh, and the tall grass was really, really interesting. Like, yeah, I, I really would like to go back to that world. I, I really, well, I mean, it, it reminded me of like, honestly, it reminded me like Call of Cthulhu or something set in the correct time period. What I really liked about it was um, I noticed they were animating on the 12s because like every frame of that, of that animation looked like a painting, you know, yeah. like the, the art direction was exquisite. And the fact that it was so kind of like jerky kind of like added to it in a weird way. And then like, uh, the monster, no, I, I thought that was one of the most effective things that it did. Yeah. And then the monsters were not animated on the twelves, which made the, cause they were animated on 24. So they seemed a lot more fluid and scary because of that. It was, yeah. it was, yeah, it was they a borrowed good... a page from, uh, what they did on the Spider-Man Spider- movie. 
Yeah, yeah. It was it was really good. And also the uh, the the critters in it were drawn in a different style, which was nice. Because um, again, it made them seem a little otherworldly, which was a good idea. So yeah, I will let you know. I will let you know when I get to lo- those last three. But oh my it's god, it's good I'll that f- you put that in there because I had completely forgotten that I had not finished. Ma- man, maybe during the break I'll make you watch the Christmas episode. It's only seven minutes. It's it's horrifically short and it's amazing. <laughs> I, sh- I I I showed it to to my daughter. Because, uh, yeah, and maybe I shouldn't have, but she likes creepy, crawly stuff like that. Dude, and I think we've already established I watch Aliens at eight. Yeah, yeah. I'm a grown adult. I don't break laws and I am constructive in my, uh, you know, input to society. So I'd like to say that it didn't ruin me. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching because uh, uh, she, she's gotten really into animation and art and stuff lately. So. Uh, I've been watching actually episodes of it with her, but not not the bad ones. Uh, we've watched uh, Zima Blue, which she really liked just because it was it was interesting to look at. Uh, we watched we watched the Christmas episode, which she liked because it was it was weird. I think we're gonna watch the one about the freezer with the the civilizations in it next up. Oh, that one's good. That one's good. I, and you I know, like when the yogurt that. took over. You know, the ones that aren't like just just nightmare fuel. We're we're gonna skip the nightmare um, fuel ones. Have you shown her suits? I don't think Suits is too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suits is on the list. Suits is on the list. Because, yeah, Suits is violent and they cuss, but, you know, that's everything she yeah, sees in Overwatch no, and Yeah, but it's no better or worse than a Marvel movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's definitely on the list. But we're not going to show her, like, the werewolf one or, you know, the one with the lady being murdered or, you know, <laughs> those. Woo! Or the Pop Squad. Holy God. <laughs> oh, man, what a... <laughs> Can 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 I can I can I please not feel terrible about all of mankind? Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it was good times. It was good. Yeah, times. man that that one's that that one's a major. Uh, that's a tough one to watch. <laughs> I liked it though. It was uh, it was good. All right. Well, we we both been watching Loki. What are your thoughts so far? This last episode seemed like a waste to me because like nothing happened. Like a lot really? happened. It was totally it did- Doctor Who. I loved it. Yeah, but it didn't progress the story um, that I really cared about. So but I'm, it, I'm. It built the characters. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just wish something could have happened that would have been more driving the story forward than just a full hour of the characters getting to know each other a little bit. Watch it. Watch it a second time because there's a lot of interesting dialogue choices that I think are setting up some things hey, hey, hey man if if it pays off later i mean i I'm, I'm watching this out of order so if it pays off later i will stand corrected i'm just saying my first impression of that episode was it just seemed like nothing happened like yes yes they talked and, and characters did develop and that's fine but the problem is i've seen loki a lot you know so i didn't really need to get to know him better and so you know the variant uh whatever we want to call her uh yeah like getting to know her a little bit was interesting but again i felt like it for the amount of dialogue the two of them had together that drove their personal characters forward, I felt like of that hour, they could have done that with a 10 minute interesting conversation. And then we could have had 40 minutes of anything else driving the story forward with like, you know, the, the time police and whatnot, which I I would like to have seen more of too. So I I I did miss Mobius in this episode. Mobius not being there. I did feel like hurt things. I'm not saying that Mobius had to necessarily be interacting with the Lokis, but like legitimately him not being in the episode made everything just a little weaker. Yeah. So we'll see how it pans out. Like I said, if, if that story or if that episode turns out to be very influential about stuff in the, la- the back half of the season, then fine. 
I will take back what I said. But that is my initial thought. Not that it's bad. Not that it wasn't weird. Not that it wasn't fun. Not that I didn't like it. I just that was just my thought. You, you know, one of my favorite things about that show so far uh, has been the score. Like the score is so interesting uh, with the Thurman. Theremin. 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 Thank you. Like it, it's a bold choice for a, for a, uh, a show score and it totally works in every way, shape and form in that show. Yeah, it's delightfully old school. Uh, I, I like it because that's a callback to one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies of all time, Forbidden Planet. I love Forbidden Planet. I'm the only person I know who loves Forbidden Planet as much as I love Forbidden Planet, but I think it's a great movie. Would you say it's a forbidden love? No, no, it's not forbidden love. <laughs> I don't, I don't Sorry, know. I have you ever myself. seen Forbidden Planet? Holy, holy God, have you ever seen that a movie? A long long time okay ago. okay okay you got homework son you got homework i'll watch it again because i i watch that movie about once a year and i'm due watch that All movie right, again. Rem- remind me I'm, I'm you know i'm down you, it, it is when it have is, i ever said no to watching a movie with you full stop it is probably I'll, I'll go out on this limb the most influential science fiction movie ever you can draw I'm straight totally lines okay you can draw straight lines from that movie to a lot of properties and not not the least of which is star trek like star trek is a straight friggin line from that movie to star trek I'm down. So what Shall else? Shall we have, go to... Uh, you haven't talked about Infinite or Bosch, and I haven't talked about the other things I watch. Well, so I can't finish my review of Infinite just because I haven't yet finished it. Um, I watched the first uh, roughly half of the movie. This is the the new Mark Wahlberg joint on the Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's uh, Antoine Fuqua uh, did it. How should I say this gently? Mark Wahlberg not the strongest thespian (laughs) when he's not being himself. You know why Mark Wahlberg was so damn good in uh, The Departed? Because he was just playing Mark Wahlberg? Well, because he knows what that character is because he lived that life. He was, you know, a, a young kid in Boston who made some questionable life choices. So it worked. Do you know when Mark Wahlberg doesn't work? When he plays a high school science teacher who's oh, uh, running from the trees. Oh, geez. The bees, guys. Aren't you worried about the bees? <laughs> Say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> yeah, that's a guy who's never been socially awkward or nerdy in his entire oh, life. Oh, the bees. <laughs> you know, man, what is it about bees in movies and getting like a bad rap with cheese ball movies? It's just like, like friggin' the Nicolas Cage one. Oh! The Wicker focus, Man, Jonathan, right? Focus, focus. Yeah, that's the Wicker Man. Focus. Infinite, infinite. Talk to anyway, you infinite. Uh, the, the first half is is pretty much a hot mess. It's it's like Jumper with even worse dialogue. So I'm looking forward to the second half. I'll let you know if it gets any better. The biggest issue the movie has in the first half, at least, is that it is over-edited. Like, it's so over-edited that there's no natural um, pauses when people are conversing. It's it's jump-cutting to, to pe- from dialogue to dialogue just the way it, like a bad, badly choreographed or a badly shot fight scene jump cuts from from shot to shot, never allowing you to establish where people are standing. It does that with dialogue. It, it's really. Do you still have Paramount Plus? Because because Picard's coming back. No, I'll I'll boot it up again when uh, season two of uh, uh, Lower Decks fires up, which will be soonish. 
All right. Well, when you do it, watch it, and we'll talk more. But yeah, needless to say, prepare yourself. You're you're you're, you're popping in a hot pocket of a movie, and you're hitting. You're you're forgetting how long you set the the microwave for. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was an interesting turn of phrase. Yeah, but tell me, it's not descriptive. Oh no, I'm going on vacation right before Lower Decks comes out. Oh heavens, not vacation where you go and enjoy yourself. God damn. No, it's just we won't have time to appreciate that. Uh, I know. I'm just going to watch it. I'm going to miss two episodes. Two episodes. Anyway, I also started watching the final season of Bosch, which is a show I've talked about on on here before. Um, I still stand by that that Bosch is the underappreciated cousin to The Wire. Um, it is just a very well put together show about detectives doing detective stuff without the CSI nonsense without the, the, you know, musical montages. It, it, it focuses on character first. And these are real human beings that are struggling through some, some pretty nice, nasty stuff. Highly recommended. Um, it is adult TV, like the very definition of adult TV. Oh my. <laughs> Not that kind. Uh, that's it. That's it. I think that brings us to the uh, end. No, of the no, I, I, I haven't talked about my stuff, son. Oh, geez. I'm sorry. Yeah. Game night. The heat. Okay. So I, I'll start with the heat. The heat. Uh, I got it just cause we had such a good time watching spy. Spy is the superior film. Uh, the heat has, it has moments, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't quite as good. Uh, the funny part is apparently they've been wanting to make a sequel to that movie forever. <laughs> And Sandra Bullock won't do it. And the reason she gave is I've made two sequels in my life. And the lesson that those two sequels taught me is I should never make sequels again. And I'm like, you know what? Speed 2, Miss Congeniality 2, fair enough. That's probably probably a good idea, Sandra. You you, you go (laughs) with that. And then we watched Game Night. And I am happy, actually, because having seen now Vacation and Game Night recently, uh, I I think the D&D movie is in good hands. So I'm I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with it. Like I know a lot of people didn't like the remake of Vacation and it wasn't like it it wasn't like a stellar film but it was fun and I had a good time watching it and so that's all I really care about. And Game Night was actually legitimately pretty pretty good. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Have you not not seen it? No, I never never had a chance to. When I was watching it the main character reminded me a little of you, a little bit. A little bit. The main character reminded me of me? Yeah, yeah. Just, just because they're, they're, he's a really competitive board gamer, and it's, it's a little bit absurd and played for laughs, but just, it's just things that have happened to me in your home, like stuff like that was going on, like just I was getting these little tastes of it, and it was, it was making me a little nostalgic, which was weird. I kept thinking about you while I was watching it, so Aww. it was pretty funny. Yeah. I think that that is. I'm comparing you favorably to Jason Bateman, so take that as you will. He was a teen heartthrob. <laughs> He still is a teen heartthrob. <laughs> In my heart, he'll always be a teen heartthrob. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment, which means it's break time. And when we return from break, it'll be time for our wisdom of crowds, our biweekly tabletop news segment. So hit us back right after the break. Go, go watch the very special Christmas special with, with the credits. It can't be longer than five minutes. <laughs> Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview.
welcome back from the break. <laughs> Let me turn off my phone. Ah! Uh, I have just watched Love, Death, and Robots all through the house. <laughs> Allow me to say that this is perhaps my favorite of all of the Love, Death, and Robots at this point. I know. <laughs> that was amazing. That was 1,000% amazing. Also, fun fact, uh, you know David Fincher is a... Uh, producer on love death and robots this is kind of his baby yeah and i love how this is a complete nod to him the way it sniffs the kid <laughs> just like you know alien three uh, when the alien lean leans forward and sniffs ripley uh, friggin brilliant this was amazing <laughs> all through the house i mean like i don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen it you need to go watch it <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> It's my new, it, it might replace Die Hard as my favorite Christmas movie ever. <laughs> I would totally show that to the kids. Yeah, I showed it to, when when, uh, when the creature comes out. The look on my daughter's face was like, <gasps> <laughs> and and then she's like, "Are those kids gonna be okay? Are those kids gonna be okay?" And I'm like, "Oh shoot! You know, I forgot in the first segment. You know what I forgot to put down? I watched Alien with Chloe. Oh." And um, I videotaped, well, videotaped, I, I taped on my phone, taped, good Lord, I can't stop. I recorded on my phone all the reactions to all the best scares in that movie. And <laughs> the look on her face when the alien pops out of the dude's chest was amazing. I'll have to send that to you. Yeah, please do. She also talks to movies, apparently, when she gets a little worked up. And she's, like, sitting there. And, like, you know, the, the, the Ripley's trying to survive at the end of the movie. And she's like, oh, no, girl. The rest of your crew's dead. You got to go. You got to go, lady. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, no, girl, to, to Ripley. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. There how you how go. old is she now? Chloe, she's about to be, uh, she's about to turn 12. Oh, I can't wait for Alien. Oh, I can't wait. You know, Alien's not terrible. The only really, the only thing that really is, is like. Oh, the chestburster scene. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. The, the chestburster scene's really the only thing. The rest of it's all pretty tame, even by modern standards. All right. All right. Let's focus, Jonathan. Let's focus. All right. All right. Yeah. All, all, all through the house. My, my most favorite love of death and robots now, without a doubt. That's amazing. I, and, and as an adult, you just, you get an extra laugh out of it. It's amazing. <laughs> And now it's time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And it is actually, there's, there's some news, my friend. There is some news. Although the fun part is I got most of my news like last week. This this week's been pretty dead. But last week, Yeah, man, this week had a whole lot of nothing. True story. So uh, our continuing story of Wizards and organized play. Wizards has announced that starting with the new Forgotten Realms D&D magic set July 16th, metrics will start happening again. However... They're going to track me metrics. Uh, you're still going to keep your year snapshot. That's going to that's going to stay for a while. But yes, uh, after one year from July 16th, you will have to actually, you know, rely on your metrics uh, for D&D once again or for uh, Magic the Gathering once again. So, yes, the first date will be the Forgotten Realms pre-release. And for now, any form of play counts, not just standard drafted sealed, blah, blah, blah. Metrics are firing up again. Things are returning to normal. It's crazy. My uh, my local gaming store, they have. Uh, They've they've uh, reorganized and reopened their uh, their play space. It's weird. With less tables, or actually, same amount of tables, less chairs. So, but yeah, it, it's really weird seeing on uh, social media and whatnot a bunch of different FLGS is starting to post uh, you know events again. It's it's tripping me out. Yeah, I don't think I'm ready yet. I'm not. 
Um, but I did play at a table with some people late recently, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I don't think I'll be ready until my kids get the poke. Like, I just don't want to deal with it. I'm kind of an introvert by nature anyway, so I can hold on another couple months. It's not going to bother me. Well, first up on the list for me is that uh, we are getting a reprint of a game that has been hard to find. Um, back in 2015, Minion Games published Dead Men Tell No Tales. Uh, which Dead uh, Men Tell No Tales. Absolutely. So it but is perhaps a, a he knows too game. much. You see... <laughs> I've been on that ride a little, a few times. Sorry. I can, I can tell <laughs> it is a, a game where basically you are on a pirate ship and you're trying to grab treasure while, uh, flames are consuming, uh, the ship. A lot of variability in the game. No two games ever, ever, ever feel the same in it. The rights had kind of been in limbo, uh, because of the sale of minion games. And now Renegade has come out of nowhere to, uh, reprint it. So good on them. They are also reprinting the Kraken expansion, the miniature add-on, and because the, the cover art for this game, if you've ever seen the cover of Dead Men Told No Tales, is awesome. They're doing a thousand-piece puzzle of the box art, which is great. I wish more board game companies would do that. Yeah, that was actually really cool. I saw that story. So there you go. Dead Men Tell No Tales. Uh, go to your FLGS and pre-order a copy. It's coming back. Hold on to your butts, people. Uh, international shipping is screwed up right now, and I've had... Uh, two game companies and i haven't even looked that hard uh talk about how it's causing them problems uh case in point i should have i if all things were fine i would have had my print copy of impossible landscapes by now but as of right now it looks like i'm not going to get that in my hot little hands until the end of july and that's tentative at this point so we'll see how that shakes out my my onk kickstarter has been delayed by like a good solid three or four months just because of shipping yeah, and then uh, NPR ran a story, and John Nephew, uh, founder of Atlas Games, was talking about it. He uh, he had a a game come out called Dice Miner, and he was expecting to get it, you know, six weeks or so after it got done uh, being produced, and it took him six months to get his hands on it. And because of the crunch, uh, he would have liked to have gotten his game shipped by terrain, but instead they loaded it onto a truck and sent it to him. And so for his you know, entire run of this game called Dice Miner. He had $12,000 of extra shipping costs that he wasn't expecting. And so obviously that gets passed on to us. And uh, as you've said before, like the, the ratio on that is like what, eight to one or something like that? Five to one? It, it, it's anywhere from, from five to 10 to one, uh, depending on on your cost. And yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, there, there's no way that this isn't getting passed along to the consumer. This is This is how inflation happens, folks. Absolutely. It looks like a lot of our, our our stuff that we love here is going to go up in price by like five to ten dollars because of all this nonsense. So to, to give you an idea, a, a, a buddy of mine um, in the industry was giving me some rates that he was getting. And, and you know, I, I have some experience in this. Um, and, you know, for a container that was was costing about three thousand dollars to book the full container for transatlantic shipping uh, or trans-Pacific shipping. The container costs are now uh, jumping over the twenty thousand dollar mark. Mm-hmm. So, I mean that that is a, a seven times multiplier in terms of your your shipping cost, which is should be reasonably negligible. Like sea freight is so so cheap when you think about how much you can cram in a container, and and to have that go go seven times like that, that's no publisher can afford the, to have that come out of the bottom line. It has to be passed on to the consumer, and it's not the publisher's fault. I, I can't blame anybody for that. It's outside of the norm 
Yeah, nephew said uh, he ordered a 40-foot cargo container full of games from Shanghai in December and anticipated delivery in six weeks, and it took him eight cancellations until he actually managed to get it six months later. Yeah, it's it's not just that the containers are more expensive, it's that they're also impossible to book right now, too. Yeah. Good time to be a freight forwarder, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Just hold on to your butts, people. Prices are going up because... Because just in pl- just in time, supply chains are dumb, and it was a bad idea, and Toyota didn't even really do it. But that's a whole other NPR story if you want to go look it up. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince of Bel Air are coming to the board game store near you. <laughs> Whiz Kids have announced wait, that whoa, DJ Jazzy whoa, Jeff whoa, and the Fresh Prince wait, Summertime, whoa, whoa. a quick card game that has been inspired by, of course, their hit song is on the way to you relatively soon. Okay, okay, please tell me, because this is WizKids, there is a uh, Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff miniature that comes along with this of some form. No, please. it is oh. a card game. Oh, it is hurts. a Wiz card Kids. game, but Missed the card game does Missed feature... opportunity. ...does feature a beautiful selection of early to mid-90s fluorescent colors. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, this is... Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Jonathan, I am not ready for '90s nostalgia. Like I, oh, but it's happening. I know, I know, or not. I know. But like, holy God, like, like '80s nostalgia I got because I was a kid, you know. Like, but but '90s nostalgia, I was a surly teenager and gothic and stuff, and and people like, I don't know. You know, it's gonna be really weird, Jonathan. You know, it's gonna be really weird. I, Are I, you listening to Danzig? Is that what you're saying? No, I didn't listen to much Danzig. I did a little bit. No, my my crowd was into like the Cure and stuff. Anyway, um. <laughs> the weird thing is if you asked me what the nineties were about right now, I don't know if I could tell you, you know, like, like there was a lot of stuff going on in there, but I know that as nineties was a packed decade, man. I know. But as, as a culture, we're going to distill everything down to like a few things like the nine, like the eighties, for example, was not all about the new wave. There was a lot more going on in that decade too, but that's all that anybody ever thinks about now. You know, new wave music, new wave, you know, androgyny and all that. And I don't the, know. The look. I think you could probably, you know, like the, the grunge movement probably is, is is anchored more firmly for me personally than anything else. Yeah, but I, I wore my flannel. Oh, I did, too. But um, yeah, I don't know. man. Well, hey, man, and I'm going to read from the from the WizKids website here. Ready? OK, go. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince invite you to hang with them at the hottest spots in Philly. You will cruise, groove, and unwind across town, trying to vibe with them to prove you're the coolest in the crew. Do you have the energy to keep up with everyone else who has their eyes on the crown? In this quick and clever card game inspired by the classic hit song, players have to outwit each other with a series of tricky decisions as they try to play action, energy, and boost cards to end up with the most total energy at a spot to win it. Whoever has the most points from spots at the end of the game is the winner. Man, some of these cards are amazingly 90s, too. Like, whoever did the graphic design obviously is our age and lived through it. Well done. I forgot all about this song. You're welcome. You're welcome. What's your last story? What? I'm listening to Summertime. You'll have to You'll have to excuse me for a minute. Drums, please! This, this makes for riveting radio when we cannot afford the licensing fee for the song. I'm not, yeah, I'm, okay, I'll watch it later. Fine, fine. Dear WizKids, missed marketing opportunity... If you want to send us over a budget so that we can license the song, we'll put it in there with the news show. <laughs> All right. So, Jonathan, when Wizards of the Coast releases a new magic set, uh, do you know among the many things what they do to promote it? They put a story 
or a, a, typically a multi-part story onto their website. And it's not short either, you know, it's, it's usually pretty long. So Jonathan, what do you think Wizards of the Coast is doing to promote the new Adventures in the Forgotten Realms D&D inspired magic set that is coming out very soon? Yelling out drums, please, in the background. Okay. No, that's not what they're doing. And st- I mean, I feel like that was a solid guess. Come on. Instead of re- releasing fiction, because the Forgotten Realms has a ton and they don't need to add to that, they are going to release a five-part uh, D&D adventure in the Forgotten Realms for free to promote this game using the that budget. And apparently each chapter of it is going to be 15 to 20 pages. So, you know, like... A 75 to 100 page adventure that's that's actually pretty decent that's that's really awesome actually yeah so yeah that should be coming i don't know they're uh, the sets due out in the middle of july so and they usually start releasing the stories um it's it's usually like in, in the lead up and then after it so yeah i would expect them to start doing it in july and then we'll probably have the last part in early august would be my guest so but yeah if you like the D&D adventures and you want a free one, go poke around for that on the interwebs because it will be on Wizards website somewhere, I'm sure. Maybe even by the time this episode's out. Probably, because it will be July by then. There you go. Are you saying that it's a groove that's slightly transformed? Just a bit of a break from the norm? Just a little something to bring, break the monotony? No, it's summer madness, my friend. Of all the hardcore dance that has got to be? A little bit out of control, it's cool to dance, but what about the groove that soothes that moves romance? Be a soft, subtle mix. And if it ain't broke, then don't try to fix it. I'm so going to cut like most of that out. I just want you to know. Fuck you. Fuck you for doing that. I love you too. How dare you, son of a bitch. Summer, summer, summertime. <laughs> I was more of like a... Uh, you know, I'm I'm literally not paying any attention to you because I'm watching the video. That, right was, now. that was that was a Shatner uh, Shatnerized uh, rendition. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, do do your story. Guess what year it is, buddy? Uh, 2021. It's the year of the Dune Gasm. Dune Gasm 2021 continues. We're getting two more Dune board games, my friend. I don't know if Dune Gasm is fits our family friendly podcast and. Yeah, it fits my family friendly podcast. You, you know are cussing Jesus, so cu- much. Yeah, I am. I am in a mood. Okay. Right. It's the year of the dune, my friend. It's the year of the dune. How's that better? Sure. We're getting two new board games with the dune franchise. How's that? How exciting maybe, is maybe that? it should be a dune stravaganza. I like dune stravaganza. I like that. Okay. So the first one, there's not a ton of information about yet. It's just been recently announced, and that is from Gale Force 9. Um, if you recall, Gale Force 9 released the Dune board game, uh, the re-release of the classic with updated art and a couple of uh, smoothed out rules, mm-hmm. which we will be uh, deep diving later in the year as soon as we get a little bit closer to the Dune movie. But now um, there will actually be another version of that exact game but this one will be smoothed out um, and will play in 30 to 60 minutes rather than the, you know, like many, many hours of the previous one. Mm-hmm. And it will be a streamlined uh, version of the original. Kind of think uh, of the way Dark Moon was the smoothed out Battlestar Galactica. Okay, cool. Features all original art. It's actually absolutely gorgeous, the the box art. And it looks like the, the uh, graphic design of the game is gorgeous as well all we have is two images and that's about all the information we have 
just that it will be out relatively soon. And it is the streamlined version, and it's called Dune, A Game of Conquest and Diplomacy. So that's exciting. That's uh, if, if you want the original flavor, you can do that. And now there's going to be this Diet Dune, just one calorie. Same great taste. Indeed, indeed. And then, as if that weren't enough Dune, and it isn't, spoiler alert, it's never enough Dune, ever, Portal Games has announced uh, that we are getting a new game in their uh, Detective, a modern crime board series. They are taking Detective, a modern crime board uh, board game, and taking it into the Dune world with Dune House of Secrets. And that should be out by October 1st. So you'll get to choose four characters that are taking place in the uh, Resistance uh, against the Harkonnens. Um, so you will be playing as Fremens. The storyline is not pulled from the books and certainly not pulled from the movies since it's based on the books. Uh, but it is inspired by the lore is how it's being packaged. But it is an original adventure. Fun. And you'll be trying to, you know, basically solve uh, Dune-related crimes in the same way that you do in Detective, visiting witness, um, visiting locations, interviewing witnesses, analyzing evidence, and using your uh, unique abilities. Fun. So I'm excited. This is this looks dope. This looks awesome. I'm really excited. So there you go, Dunapalooza, Dune Stravaganza. I like Dunapalooza. Dunapalooza has a it just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, Dunapalooza. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the year of the Dune is continuing, and uh, yeah, uh, spoiler alert, once we get a little bit closer to the movie in October, I will be deep diving uh, several Dune games, so prepare thyself. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment, which means it is time for part 29, the final part, actually the penultimate part, I should say, the penultimate part to our 30-part series, No Time to Bond, where we are watching the 007 movies and a couple of others in order of release date. And wow, we are we are modern, my friend. We are modern. The year 2020, just last year, just last decade. Yeah, that that tracks now. We watched the 2020 production, The Rhythm Section, directed by Reed Morano, with a script by Mart Burnell, based off of his novel of the same name, released January 31st, 2020, for a budget of 50 million dollars. It made six million dollars. <laughs> you mean like? On like previous screenings? No, total. It like bombed. in the total for the first weekend? No, total, total. It bombed, Jonathan. It like bombed. Like just from from like Redbox sales? No, no, that was that was it. That Fifty six million was like was it? According to the Wikipedia, man, that was it. Good lord, that is that is a spectacular failure. Yeah, yeah. So, fun fact, I think I figured out why it failed. Are you ready? Okay. Well, hold on. We should say the reason we're watching this is because... Since well, no, 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 no. Before we, before we even dive into the movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I follow films. I follow films. I watch trailers online all the time. I had no idea this movie existed. Right, right. That was a big problem of it. I, 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 I just want to say the reason we're watching this is Eon Productions made it, which make the James Bond movies, and they've been branching out lately because the Bond movies are coming out slower. So that's why we watch this. We want to see what they're up to. And, and it, it is a spy movie. Yes, it is. So... Yeah, yeah, they they didn't market it, probably because it wasn't great, which is which is a shit, you know. You, it, okay, it's not that it wasn't great. No, this is a, the perhaps the most frustrating film, one of the most frustrating films I've ever ever watched because there's so much right. Yeah, yeah, there's so much right, but when it goes wrong, it goes spectacularly wrong. Yeah, I honestly I didn't have any complaints about the movie except for the script. The script was awful a mess yeah a complete mess 
First of all, first of all, Mark Burnell, what works for books doesn't always work for movies. And like they should have had a subtitle on this or something because the rhythm section, I legitimately thought this was going to be a movie about jazz musicians. (laughs) I'm not even being funny when I say that. Like I legitimately thought it was going to be a a, a movie about like making music. Yeah, apparently it's about like holding your breathing while you're shooting apparently it's a big yeah it was stupid and the way they they introduced that the the title into the film feels so forced it was so forced it's the name of the book man so i don't know what are you gonna yeah, do yeah well yeah i think maybe we should close the book on that mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> guess what that was still better dialogue than anything in the movie yeah which is weird because it was it, okay so blake lively's lively's in it and she's like amazing like no she that was an oscar worthy performance yeah legitimately i, I don't say that ironically no like, I don't her either. performance was amazing and textured and not like you could have it could have been so easy for somebody to go over the top with that and she didn't it, she she held it all back and it's very internalized but it's internalized in a way that you can see it on her face i was really impressed with her performance yeah and jude law's in it as kind of the tough love spy master dude and uh, there was a part in this movie early on where I knew it was in trouble because they were talking about each other. And Jude Law's character tells Blake Lively's character that her story is a cliche and it's stupid. I'm like, that's probably a bad thing to point out in a movie. <laughs> uh, Newsflash. Uh, <laughs> awkward moment. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, Jude Law in general was pretty good. Like the acting was really no, good. No, he was great. The he directing was great. too it, was amazing. Like that car chase. Oh my God, scene, no. That car chase. The, the, the one take car the, chase. The, was yeah, the great. car chase was jaw-droppingly good. Like so awesome. So what went wrong, Jonathan, besides the script being terrible? Where, where did it go off the rails? I mean, the, the script really is the, 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 the biggest issue here. Um, I think what we get is an amazing directorial job by Reed Morano. And honestly, like, Hey, Eon put him onto a bond film. He did a great job. He knows how to work the camera in a, in a story like this. Um, I, I even loved like the, the, the color palette used. I thought it really worked to accent every scene in the story. I, I loved the editing. I thought the editing made the most of what it was given. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think that there was a single part that was miscast in the entire thing. Uh, I was especially impressed because he's becoming the the modern um oh what the hell Ben Foster, you know Ben Foster the actor that appears in everything and you're like holy crap he did a really good job as this supporting role and then you forget his name. Yeah. Um yeah, so Sterling Brown uh is becoming the 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 modern day character actor that you can go to for a nuanced performance that knocks it out of the park um for what should be a no-name character. Uh, he did amazing. I was really impressed with his his uh, take on it. Yeah, where it falls apart is that the, the the script is just a joke, and it's core beats of the story that are the problem. Like the entire romance between the the, the main character and Sterling Brown's character is is just awkward, mm-hmm. and it's not from the acting. The acting is exquisite. It's not from the direction. They, they put it together in a classy way. It's it's the fact that these characters shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a core failure of following the characters through their natural arc. It makes them feel inhuman. There's a lot to like in this because, I mean, Blake. the, the story is Blake Lively's character, her parents uh, got blown up on a plane and she decides to go on a revenge tour of uh, 
finding the people who did it, which is fine. But one of the things I, I liked about it was Blake Lively, you know, she's just, I don't know what she was doing before her parents died, but she ends up becoming a, a strung out prostitute. And her trying to like mold herself into a murder machine, she has a really tough time killing people the first couple of times, you know? Yeah, which, which you know what? Makes a lot of sense. It, it, in fact, the, the setup is what works the best. Where it falls apart is in the execution. And like one of the, one of the strongest parts of the movie and again, credit to everybody involved with the production, um, is just how clumsy she is. Mm-hmm. Because it's not what she spent her life training to do. It is something that she's trying to do because she's highly motivated, but not particularly good at it. <laughs> yes. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, no, but I, I like that angle of it. I liked... No, that, that angle's great, yeah. You know, because like I, I I've 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 read stuff about hitmen and stuff before, and like most hitmen aren't actually very good at their job, so to speak. You know, no. It's just like having the ability to walk into someplace, murder somebody, and walk away calmly. Like that seems to be like the the key thing in that job. And I them trying to sort of portray that, I thought was actually really interesting. And and it was it, it, th- those parts were good. Like the two times she really had, but then she switches into like murder machine r- mode, like soon after that, but whatever. Um, yeah, no, I, I, there were just interesting ideas going on in this movie and it was just so poorly executed. Like it, and it was just all the script. The script was terrible, like just yeah. awful. I mean, I, I mean, ultimately that's where it all falls apart. Cause you're right. The ideas, the core idea is interesting and would have been an, a very interesting thing to explore. But in, in, the context of this particular execution on that story, it, it, it falls apart because people are put into situations where they stop feeling like themselves, like the, the like the author lost sight of what the character was and just squashed them into a new situation. And and the whole reporter thing, like it, what a what a dropped weird storyline. Which one? The the reporter at the beginning. Oh yeah. It, it, it's so obviously a, a deus ex machina, you know, it's like, Leo, let me just propel you into the plot. And now I'm dead. I'd, I'd still kind of recommend watching it, though, because it's like the acting in it and the direction is really good. Yeah. And, and, and there's there's a couple of good action set pieces. And I was actually particularly taken by the music. I thought the music was really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exquisitely uh, complimentary to the to the what was shot. But, but here's the problem. Like, I don't I don't know why this fa- this failed, because you know what? Honestly, I've seen worse movies. Yeah, I would that agree. have made more money. Yeah. I mean, Mark Wahlberg has a career, for God's sakes. <laughs> Say out of your mother for me. How is it that I had no idea this had come out? Yeah, I, I didn't even see a trailer on YouTube. Well, and they put it in the January, you know, death slot for movies like they didn't have. I any mean, faith for God's sakes, I got a copy of Shadows in the Cloud. How much worse can it get? Like, I'm your core audience here. How is it that you managed to not market to your core audience? That tells me you weren't marketing at all. Yeah, I would agree. Like, yeah. there's not much else to say there. Like, th- this is worth watching. I had a good time watching it. But, yeah, there's some ma- major issues. And it all comes down to a, a weak sauce script. Like, it's very poorly written. But sadly, Jonathan, this is, like, our last time we're going to bond for a while. Yes. So, like, by this time, we were supposed to have a whole other Bond movie. But yeah. apparently that's not like what is it now? Like it's November. got moved around again. Dune got moved around again. I think it's I think it's still November or something like late in the year because they want they want to put it in theaters. So yeah. Right, <sighs> let's see here. Bond release date twenty twenty one is uh, currently sitting on October eighth. October eighth. 
well, we'll see what we can do. We'll see how October is. Maybe I'll want to go see a movie by then. Maybe I won't. We'll we'll feel that one out. We'll play it by ear. I'll Whatever. wait like a week or two and then go catch like a midnight show so that nobody's around. There you go. But yeah, but that means next time, Jonathan, we are going to fire up the Stephen King film retrospective, which still that segment needs a better name. I don't know what we're going to call it. King of Vision? King Vision. King <laughs> King of Vision, I think that's what the, the lady in uh, Mystery Science Theater, because she's King of Forrester. I think it is filmed <laughs> in King of Vision. <laughs> Maybe that's where my brain dug that up. <laughs> but yeah, we are going to watch uh, Carrie, the original Carrie, which I have not seen at least all the way through. I know what happens in it. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't live under a rock. And I've seen the finale. Everybody's seen the finale. But yeah, I don't think I've seen that film all the way through. So that will be interesting. I mean, I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to get into this whole other like genre, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there's some craptacular film in there. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which probably made more money than friggin this one. Yeah, the rhythm section. I don't know about I don't know about. Well, we're not watching Sleepwalkers, but yeah. Oh. And I'm glad I don't have to sit through the mangler again. There are small gifts. Oh, and the next time. We'll announce the winner of what we're going to watch. And the fans, the fans are split. There are currently three votes for the 1994 Stan miniseries and two votes for the 97 Shining series. And I would much rather watch the Craptacular Shining series because I haven't seen that like three times. Well, that brings us to the end of, well, for quite a while, No Time to Bond, which means it's now time for our Year in the Life segment. One year ago, Robert, where were we? Forgot My Dice, episode 88. I got you, Bubba. And Forgot My Dice, episode 90. Thanks, Rona. Uh, we Boy, pre- that joke didn't end well. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> we played. Uh, Here we are, 18 months later. It's still the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Thanks, Rona. <laughs> we played Fra- Foundations of Rome and Pandemic Iberia. Man, playing a pandemic game now is just, oh, that hurts a little, right? God, who would have thought? That's a year ago we made that joke, thinking, oh, it can't last much longer. <laughs> yeah. Still no end in sight, my friend. Trucking right along. Um, you know, Foundations of Rome is interesting because that was actually the physical version. If you remember, we did the 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 uh, review of the Tabletop Simulator, the official module from uh, that, that I got access to because I, I backed the Kickstarter. And we still don't have a Kickstarter. It's still not here yet. In fact, they were just talking about how they're having troubles with shipping in their <laughs> updates. No. Oddly enough, bringing it home. Bringing it home. Because we are supposed to be uh, coming back to Foundations of Rome, basically doing a, a revisiting of it uh, with the physical version and seeing if it works any differently on the uh, physical version. It was supposed to be delivered in January of this year. I sit here uh, on the, the very, very edge of July, and uh, still nothing. And as it stands right now, let's see what we've got here. They are trying to book containers, so who knows? <laughs> oh, fun. They are saying that it should be uh, in the States uh, in, in distribution hubs sometime between September and November, uh, and then it needs time to ship here. So basically, I'm thinking it'll be at least a year late, January 22. So if you were waiting for part two of that deep dive, it's coming. 
That was yeah, also when I mean, we were watching Star Trek Picard. I was going through the Tremors movie with, with my daughter. Fun stuff. Oh, there's the good stuff. Picard season one, man. Oh, the tears, the tears. That one, that one, that one was a solid kick to the feels. And season two looks like it's going to be more the same. My, uh, my cousin, uh, she, uh, released her book right around the last year. Pizza girl. Yeah. Yeah. How did that work out for her? Like, I have we, no- do we need, we still need to read that. Don't we? Yeah, I haven't read it yet. Tell me when you're going to read it. Cause I'll, I'll read it too. Yeah, I've been terrible about reading books lately. I need to, there's several I need to just do. Well, that brings us to the end of our year in the life. Once again, thank you, Rona. You jerk. Uh, it's time for another break, and when we return, it'll be time for our deep dive. And this one's going to be an interesting one, because uh, I have thoughts, Robert. I have some thoughts. So join us in a few moments when we hit when we deep dive Aliens, another glorious day in the core. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And, of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Ah. Uh... I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And this time, no one can hear you scream. Oh, sorry, I haven't turned the fan off yet. It's so nice. <laughs> no one can hear you moan unconditionally for your Oh, fame. God, it's so good, Jonathan. Oh, <laughs> oh. Oh, just the wind over me. Okay, hold on. My pits are almost dry. Give me a sec. Just one sec. By the Hainerian gods, that was good. All right. Aliens, another glorious day in the core, is a cooperative survival board game in which you and your team of specialist colonial marines gear up with serious firepower and head into Hadley's Hope to find survivors and answers. But you're not alone. To survive, you'll need to work together to keep your cool and to stay frosty to fight off the relentless xenomorph ambushes and get out of there alive. Players can play up to six different missions, taking them into different areas of Hadley's Hope, terraforming facility to the deep, dark recesses of a xenomorph nest. Aliens also offers an exciting campaign mode to play four of the missions linked together, so players will need to fight relentless xenomorph attacks and to keep each other alive all the way to the end of the campaign. The remaining two missions are purely about survival. Kill or be killed. The players are dropped into the game with nothing more than a pistol. They will need to scavenge weapons and gear while hordes of xenomorph aliens are trying to get them. How long can you survive against the odds? All right, Jonathan, explain this one to me. Let's put on our co-op hat, right? Which means we're going to be borrowing some basic concepts from games like Zombicide. So keep that in mind. That's not neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It, I'm just saying that that's kind of like where we need to put our heads. So... 
the first thing you're going to do is choose a mission. And the game comes with a variety of different missions, um, some of which are kind of arcadey. Uh, I think they're called bug hunts, um, which, which, you know, kill or be killed. Uh, and then others, which can be tied together into a campaign, uh, which was my fa- preferred way to play the game. Uh, and then you, once you select the mission, the mission's going to give you some things that you need to do. Uh, now, the game comes with a variety of different tiles that lets you put together a variety of different boards. Uh, the expansions have even more tiles, and um, each of those tiles is double-sided. So once you lay out the map as it's described by the individual mission, you will then lay out a bunch of different items onto the board. Um, those items can range from spawn points, uh, for the terrible, terrible bad guys, points that are already existing on the map. Like, uh, a good example is on the newt mission. You start with four blips on your motion tracker. Uh, and one of those blips is going to be newt. Then you're going to set up any that's so weird. scenery you, that's you in know there? my cat is named newt because the girl in that film, oh. it was just, it was there just weird go. hearing you talk. I'm like, what, what, what cat, the cat that comes in here and annoys me, that's newt. You should have named your your cat Jonesy. It wasn't red, or it wasn't orange like Jonesy is. I know she's a tabby. Know, and she's it, adorable, and she hides like oh. Newt. So that's why we named her that. Does she only come at night? Come out at night? Uh, yeah. Well, Mostly. I mean, when she was a little kitten, yeah. There, now there was a reason we called her Newt. It was funny. Not so much now. Now she's just a big loppy cat that likes pets and drools, drools all the time, all over everything. Anyway, sorry. Go on. <laughs> So, um, yeah, you place all the, basically think of it as the accoutrement, uh, out onto the table. Um, these can sometimes be things that you can interact with like, uh, um, computer terminals. Uh, and then everybody's going to choose a character. Uh, now what's cool is this game supports up to six players, which is awesome. Uh, what, uh, is interesting is if you can play it alone or you can play it in smaller numbers than six. Uh, and if you do, you still need to have some, uh, six characters out. It's just that some of them will be uh, will have their character card flipped over to the grunt side. And grunts still give you the firepower, uh, but they don't necessarily have some of the individual abilities uh, that you get when you play as the hero. Um, and then there is a, a section in the gameplay where the hero will basically tell the grunt what to do. Make sense? Yeah. Then you are going to gear up your heroes and grunts with equipment and weapons, weapons, uh, equipment and weapons from a stack of endurance cards. And we'll talk about why that that deck is called the endurance deck in a little bit. But needless to say, anything that's not chosen and equipped characters will then be shuffled into the endurance deck, uh, which uh, features cards that have three different symbols on them, which we will talk about shortly. And uh, then you're going to finish basic setup. You're going to create your endurance deck. You're going to put that out there. You're going to create your motion tracker deck. You're going to put that out there. That's the deck that basically tells you what monsters are coming out, where they're coming out, and any of the terrible, terrible things that they do to you when they spawn. And that is going to differ from mission to mission uh, based on the setup instructions on the mission card that you choose. The mission card will also tell you where your folks will be spawning, uh, where the bad guys will be spawning. At that point, you're going to set your turn dial to the proper, um, proper section, number one. And you're going to make sure that everybody's uh, character card also has what's called a uh, aim dial. And that aim dial is used in combat. And then it's, uh, it's pretty much standard board game stuff from there. Every character on the game uh, has a rank. And the player with the highest rank is the player that goes first every turn. And then it goes down from there, which is uh, an interesting way to handle player order. Now let's talk about what your average turn looks like. And the, the turns are actually pretty straightforward. 
which is not to say that they aren't slightly complicated. Let me explain what that means. This is like a crunchy co-op game. We've, we've talked about Zombicide on the show before. We've also talked about how simple it is to play, right? There's not a whole lot going on. Uh, this takes that basic concept of that co-op survival game and adds a lot of crunchy gamerness to it, uh, which I rather enjoy, but it makes learning it a little bit tougher. It uses a lot of the same basic concepts. Line of sight is essentially the same as a game like Zombicide, where if you can draw a line from the corner to it and it's not interrupted by doors or walls, you're good to go. That's pretty standard co-op adventure game stuff. Uh, there are plenty of doors. One of the actions that you can do you is to make a barricade, just like the movies. And if you make a barricade, the aliens can't get through it, which is awesome. Um, spaces are roughly defined the same way they are in, in most co-op games. There are, um, you know, uh, light squares drawn across the map, which uh, allow you to move one, one to... Uh, one square at a time based on your movement speed, and most characters have a movement speed of between three and five, which means that on any given turn, if you use an action to move, you're going to be able to move three to five spaces on the map. So game turns start with the marine phase, and the marine phase means that good guys go first, because the good guys are the marines, and if you remember the movies, they do go first. They are the ones that go into Hadley's Hope looking for uh, survivors. So the very first step you take is you reset your aim dial. And that'll make sense in a moment when we talk about combat. Uh, next step is you reserve, resolve any on activation abilities. So remember I told you that you pick a hero card when you pick a hero. And each of those hero cards um, it has different abilities uh, printed on them. Some are passive and some have the keywords on activation and they get resolved during this step. Then you have an opportunity to equip endurance cards. So... During the course of the game, you will often get to draw cards from the Endurance deck, and some of those are things like weapons and armor. And if you choose to um, equip them to your character, each of those has a cost, and that cost will be cards that you have to burn from your Endurance deck. The Endurance deck will eventually, by the end of the game, get split into three core components. You have the Draw deck, you have the um, Exhausted deck, and then you have the Discarded deck. So as you pay for stuff, you pay for it by taking cards off the endurance deck and putting them into the exhausted pile. That pile, uh, through recycling activities, can then be put to the bottom of the uh, endurance deck, and then eventually will uh, you'll have an opportunity to shuffle and then continue to draw off of that deck. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. Okay. The other thing that can happen is that sometimes you will have to permanently destroy cards. For example... If you use an M40 grenade, you remember the grenade launcher on the bottom of the, uh, the pulse rifle? If you use a grenade, that card becomes discarded. And when you discard a card, it's out of the game permanently. So that's the differentiation between those three decks. And that is one of the core mechanics in the game. You have to manage that endurance deck because if you ever run out of cards in it, you're toast. That's it. Game over, man. You knew it was coming. So part of the, part of the game is, is managing the cards that are getting put into the um, exhausted deck and trying to get them back into the main deck so that you continue to power endurance because everything you do in the game, you're going to have to burn a card to do it, right? If you want to um, attack with a specific weapon, most of the core weapons involve you burning a couple of endurance cards to, uh, to do your attack. Um, and when you burn those cards, they of course go into the exhausted, not the discarded deck, meaning that they can re-enter the game, but you are going to have to spend actions to do that. Then you get to resolve, step four of the, the Marine phase is when you resolve two actions. And you have a variety of different actions 
that you can do. So you can move. That means that you move up to the character speed. Every character's hero card will basically tell you how quickly they can move. And like I said, most characters move between three and five spaces, four being the most, most prevalent. You can attack. If you attack, you choose one of the weapons that you have equipped and you attack with it, and then you follow the directions of that weapon card. Most of the attacks are going to be uh, burn a couple of endurance cards to um, do an attack with that weapon, grab the marine dice, which are uh, D10s, uh, roll it. If you recall, we have those aim counters. At the beginning of the game, you will set your aim counter to your character's aim number, which is printed on their hero card. And I'll give you an example. Uh, the aim number might be eight, meaning that if you roll the marine die and you hit on, um, you'll hit on anything that is eight or below. So pretty easy to hit that first roll, right? When you do an attack, your aim dial gets kicked down one notch. So if I started at an eight, my aim down will now be at a seven. Now, a lot of the guns in the game are fully automatic. If you remember the pulse fires, uh, the, the pulse rifles and the um, smart guns are all fully automatic rifles, right? So when you do an, uh, an attack with a gun that can go full auto like this, you can immediately follow up with another attack when you are successful. Uh, but it's going to cost you another endurance card. And if you do that, now your aim dial is permanently, or semi-permanently, I should say, stuck at, at seven, right? So you're going to roll again. And if you're successful, now your aim dial gets kicked to six. But you can do another attack. And so it becomes kind of a risk versus reward thing, right? You're burning endurance cards when you do this. Fast. That's one of the things that's really startling about this game is how fast you can burn through those endurance cards. You really have to manage that deck. And when you do that, your aim starts kicking down because you're firing on full auto. It makes different, you know, it makes sense, right? The longer you hold down that trigger, the, the more it's going to spray outward. It's kind of one of the neatest things that the game does. Like, I really like the attack and I really like that aim dial. It adds a certain amount of tension to every roll. We'll come back to the aim dial in a little bit because we're going to get to play with it a little more in a sec. But let's talk about the rest of your actions. Uh, we talked about barricading. You can barricade. You can attempt to barricade or unbarricade a door a spawn point or a tunnel. And that's really important because I'll give you an example in that first mission, the new mission, there are four different spawn points and Holy crap, do aliens start pouring out of those spawns much faster than you would like. <laughs> wow. Like the board fills up quick, man, super quick. At one point, I think I um, went from having nothing in front of me to a wall of 15 aliens in one turn. Um, so barricading is kind Z of xenomorphs, sir. Xenomorphs. Yeah, true. Very true. Another thing you can do is interact. And that's when you interact with something on the game board. That could be like a box that you're going to search for more stuff. Uh, that could be a computer terminal. Computer terminals are all going to have functions based on the scenario. You can also perform a card action, which is a special action from a card that you get in the game. Like I said, as you play the game, you will get a lot of endurance cards, and some of those endurance cards come with special actions that you have to burn an action to uh, to set off. And then the final action that your character can take is to rest, and that's when you're going to get a chance to draw new ex uh, cards from the um, from the endurance deck, and you get an opportunity to recycle cards back into the car uh, to the deck, um, helping to keep your your supply chain alive, so to speak. So that's the Marine step, right? After you resolve your two actions, you're going to resolve all of the end of activation abilities. Again, those are going to be printed on cards and those are going to be printed on heroes. You're going to um, do
do step six, which is using your rank to activate grunts. If you are playing with grunts, if you're playing with six players, you'll have all heroes. And then finally, you're going to pass the activation token onto the next player in line. And that's all going to be based on that rank of the hero. So all the Marines are going to go. All the heroes are going to go in the Marine phase. Then we get to the alien phase. And that's when things start to go bad for the heroes. The alien phase is three little steps. You're going to activate the aliens. And activating the aliens is, uh, it gets ugly quick because guess what? They all have a speed of six, which means that they are going to be able to far outrun your characters. If the aliens get to right next to a hero character, they are going to attack. Now, one of the other things I really like about this game is that when aliens, before an alien gets to attack a character, the character gets to um, roll their defensive roll first. And that roll is a standard attack, meaning that, even when the aliens attack, they are throwing themselves into danger, which I thought was very, very um, thematic. Very, very thematic. After the aliens activate, you activate the blips. So during the course of the game, one of the things that happens is um, when the aliens spawn, you put blips down on the board unless they are in line of sight of a character. So that means in, in at any given moment in these hallways, there's a lot of closed off rooms. And if blips appear in those rooms... You have no idea what that is. You put a random blip token down, and that token will start to move around the board, always towards your characters. And then once it breaks into line of sight, you flip the token over, and it tells you how many aliens are on that that blip, which I thought was kind of a neat way of doing things. Oh, my God. So it could be like one or five? It could be uh, Newt. It could be five aliens, which has happened a lot to me. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so again, that's one of the cool things I really like. Like it's a combination of things that you can see and things that you can't see, but it's all scary, which adds a lot of tension to the game. And then you draw motion tracker cards, which guess what? Adding more blips to the, uh, to the board. So everything moves and then you add more. And that is the basics of it. So let's, let's, we talked about, uh, attacking a little bit. Um, attacking is pretty straightforward. Aliens, attack you and the first thing you do is that defensive fire action which we talked about after that um you uh the marine is going to die roll a die um that is going to be compared to the character's defense number and if the result is equal to or less than the defense number then they are going to dodge out of the way and survive the attack but you add plus one to your roll for each alien token that the alien has and this is where the tokens are really uh interesting So remember how I said that the blips can sometimes say five on them? When you do that, you take four alien tokens and then put the model, the fifth model, on top of those tokens, and that represents a pack of five aliens. So if you are trying to do a defense roll against a pack of five aliens, you're you're doing that with a plus four on your roll, which sucks because that's probably going to mean you're going to miss. Humans can get knocked down. Humans can get captured. And inevitably, humans can get killed. And when you get killed, you lose a hero. And if you're playing with grunts, you flip a grunt over and you take over them. Make sense? Yeah. So finally, we have the finish phase. And the finish phase is three little steps. You resolve any finish phase effects um, that can be different from mission to mission. You can check for victory or defeat and see if any of the mission requirements have been fulfilled or if the uh, end of game requirements have been fulfilled. And otherwise, you're going to clean it up. And remember what we said in the the beginning, one of the first things that the Marines do when they take their next turn is they reset their aim dials, meaning that they've stopped firing and taken a moment to to line up a new shot. 
So, uh, yeah, there you go. Any questions about basic gameplay? No. There's some crunch there. There is crunch. There is crunch. And that's a fair thing to say about this game. This is not a game for the timid. The crunch is good. The crunch is highly thematic. But if you're expecting to play this like you would something like Zombicide, where you can pick up and play very quickly, this is not that game. The crunch needs to be learned, and there's a lot of little nuances to the rules. This is a... How shall I put this? This is this is like an expert level co-op game versus uh, Zombicide being more of an entry level co-op game, if that makes sense. Makes sense. Neither one is better or worse than the other, but one definitely has more of a learning curve to it. And this is the one with the learning curve. So, Jonathan, uh, how does the rulebook explain all this to you? Because, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> funny you should ask. It's a little bit of a mixed bag. Let me explain. The rulebook is set up where the first thing it talks about is game setup, and then it goes into the nuances of each part of that game setup. But the problem is that the context that you need is in the rules, and it doesn't talk about that until a little bit later on. So initially, the rulebook is a bit obtuse, but it's all in there. Now, that said, there are some things in the rulebook that I really like that I would actually like to see other people take, uh, take into account. So one of the coolest things that the rulebook does is that there is a quick reference at the end. And the quick reference has a page number next to each step that tells you exactly where to go to see the explanation of that rule. That's better than an index because that leaves it in context and that was a real, real smart decision for them to put. So for instance, if you are in the alien phase and you are activating blips, it says 22 next to it, which means you can go to page 22 and get all the nuances of those rules. That was a real smart decision on their part, giving you the quick reference that allows you to quickly dive in and know exactly where to look for that rule. Everybody should do that. So entire board game industry, pay attention, put a quick reference on the back of the, of the book, and then put the page number right next to each step. That's a smart, smart choice. Now that said, again, there's a lot of crunch here. The rules are all very clear and well explained, but you have to understand the context of what's going on for each rule to make sense. And that doesn't happen until you've gone through the rulebook two or three times. So maybe find a video? Finding a video is going to help. This is a lot easier to learn from video because video is going to be better at building that context. So, and here's here's where I've been distracted this whole time. The components, Jonathan. I've been, uh, I've been looking. Because okay, not man. only do they have like the figures and whatnot and the aliens, but they also got the expansions with the queen and the power loader and the, 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 the car. So we're about to have a a little bit of a journey here. The biggest sin that this game commits is not one of gameplay. And it's not one of design. The sin that this game commits is that it fails the Christmas morning test. Do you know what the Christmas morning test is? Yeah, you can play it out of the box or you don't have to spend a lot of time putting it together. Nowhere on the box does it indicate that these models come on sprues. These models are not assembled. How bad are we talking here? Is this like Robotech level level? It's not Robotech bad. It's not Robotech bad. But there, there. This is where knowing a little bit too much about what goes into manufacturing kind of comes and bites me on the rear because there are some questionable. So when when you're designing a model and when you split it into pieces so that a, a, a construction has to happen. There's always the question of where are um, where are the connections to the main sprue going to go and can I hide them, right? Hiding them would be putting the connection so that it gets covered when another piece gets glued on or something like that. 
and there's some questionable choices made there. There's some stuff that is not clear, and the 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 build instructions that come with it that have no words on them and are are the bare minimum of pictures needed to put it all together really do a bad job of telling you what's important and what's not. And so it's very easy to inadvertently cut something off the sprue that you didn't mean to. Now, thankfully, I have built a lot of models in my day, and I did not step on any of these mines, so to speak, but I could very, very easily see somebody that has no modeling experience that is just a board game player picking this up and then trying to build these models and then screwing them up inadvertently. And, and, and that's something that really needs to be said. If you've never built models before, are these buildable? Absolutely. Should you give it a try? Yes, without a doubt. Should you be watching vi uh, videos about how to attack these models and build them properly? Yes, because they're not intuitive and the instructions suck. Are all of them arms, body, base, or do some of them... Like some the of them are odd. Some of them are odd. Yeah, they have how to build Vesquez on the interwebs. So that's all I've got here. And she looks simple. It was just put the body on the base, put the arms on. Bob's your uncle. Okay, so like a perfect example of, of something that did not need to be split apart but was is Sergeant Apone. Um, and Sergeant Apone, his body and arms are all one piece, and then for some reason his head is completely uh, separate. Now, knowing what I know about injection molding, that could have been on there. That could have been on there, no problem. That could have been a one-piece figure. And then you have to glue everything to the base. He's one of the easier ones. But there's some, like Private Drake, one of the smart gunners, he his head and both of his arms are independent of his body, which then also needs to get attached to the base. So it ends up being a five-piece model. Weird. And some of the decisions they made on how they broke these models apart are, are genuinely questionable. Like, I don't understand what the 3D modeler was doing. Like, it, it, like I've... I've I've worked with these three 3D models before, and I've, I've even helped people make the decisions of where to split them. And some of this stuff, it, it's genuinely like complexity for the sake of complexity. And and the fact that they didn't come pre-assembled, I mean, honestly, like that was a miss to me. I was genuinely surprised when I opened up the box and saw this. And I even picked up the box and started inspecting it, looking for the warning sticker, like the thing that I missed and, and where it says, hey, these guys aren't going to be built up. It's not on there. And that felt a little disingenuous. Because you know what? This is being marketed primarily at hobby board gamers and a lot of hobby board gamers are not going to have clippers and files and glue just lying around like I did. So besides uh, the modeling snafus, anything else? Componentry is kind of a mixed bag. Like the, the cardboard stuff is really nice. It's printed on thick cardboard, feels real good. Um, but the cards feel a little cheaper. I don't know why. Um, it was just the, the choice of cardstock that they used. It it doesn't take away from the game, but I feel like it could have been better. The plastic, because it's sprue plastic, is that really kind of hard plastic. And I, I, I would have chosen a different type of plastic for these models because uh, they're going to get a lot of handling. There's a lot of character movement in this. And I don't feel like after these are built up, they're going to they're, they're, they're going to hold together well. You know, there, there's going to be some regluing in my future. I'm sure of this, especially with the alien tails, because of these long, long pieces. All right, so not components-wise, is there anything off in the uh, execution otherwise, then? Um, I don't, it's one of these weird things where you're stuck because it has a graphic design language that it has to use, you know what I mean? Yeah. And because of that, like, there's a distinctly dated feel to the graphic design, but it matches the movie, so how can I be mad at that? Yeah, I was thinking that when I was looking at it. Like, Vasquez's character card is real 
it feels super dated but then again like if you look at the the design of the stuff in the movie it feels right on so i you know Hmm. i can't be mad at that it uses movie stills for everything you know your mileage may vary i think it's fine yeah, I'm not I would have liked to have seen some original art. Like that's one of my most favorite things about the Aliens Legendary game is that all the art is original and comic style, and I think it, it it's a it it's a neat take on uh, the property. One thing that this game does really well is it highlights some of the more minor characters from the film, like um, Frost and Gorman, and like everybody's in there. Well, okay, so now this is another thing I wanted to talk about. I played the game with the core game another day in the core another glorious day in the core then i also have the ultimate badasses expansion it adds apone crow wiesbowski burke drake and dietrich to the game so those are kind of like the minor character marines um and then i also got the get away from her you <laughs> expansion and i say that because there's a lot of asterisks in the expansion and that comes with the alien queen and it comes with the power loader plus uh, um, two Bishop models and the enraged Ripley model, which is where she's got the flamethrower and she's holding on to Newt for dear life. Uh, The two Bishops, by the way, one of them is broken and he's just like in pieces. He's in halves on the ground. (laughs) It's great. It totally, it totally pleases me to no end. The thing about this game is that the core game is 50 bucks. The Marines, I think, were 20 or 30 bucks. And then the the uh, get away from here, you hoo hoo uh, is, uh, I think, 60 bucks. So to get the full experience, you're going to be, uh, I want to say, like 140 bucks. And I feel like if you'd package it all together, which I got to be honest, if you're going to play this in the story mode, you have to because the only way to get to the end of the aliens story is to get the expansion because the get away from her. You hoo expansion comes with the last mission, the last models and additional tiles to finish out the story. I just, I wish it had all been together without it. You have no character choice. You have to use all the characters every time. And it just, I don't know. Like it totally feels like, it got split apart, and I, I I don't know many gamers that wouldn't have been willing to pay the extra money to have it all together. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like this is the second deep dive in a row where we're talking about this, where like the expansion feels necessary, and yet it shouldn't have ever been removed from the main game. Well, I guess Title Blades was where it felt like... like yeah, that. yeah, that was... Yeah, yeah. So like a couple episodes ago. But anyway, like, I, I get it. But at the same time, I don't because it's not doing right by the game design. This the game feels like it was designed from the ground up to all be together and that it was split apart for marketing reasons. And that's unfortunate. All right. So you said that it requires at least six characters. Uh, Would you say six players is like the sweet spot for player count or? Honestly, I played it with one player. I played it with three players and I played it with six and it worked on all fronts. When we played it with six, each of us played two characters just to get the experience to see if there's any gameplay difference. The sweet spot is have everybody be a hero. Don't use the grunts. Um, the hero actions are some of the best actions in the game. And like they, they make the game have so much more flavor and they're like, they're super important. So just play, play as if you had six players every time. And Jonathan, tell us one last thing about the game that you haven't said already. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Like I had so much fun. Like, I know that it feels like I was saying some 
negative things, but those are choices that were made. Uh, they weren't my choices to make. And, you know, so be it. Like, that's just my opinion. But at the end of the day, this is a cool game. Like, I love a good co-op game. And this does co-op really, really well in a world I absolutely adore. And fun fact, if you like playing aliens and you got the aliens RPG, you can reuse the models if you play the RPG. Just saying. But yeah, like the game is dope. The game is awesome. It captures the spirit of the movie really well. It gives you the whole storyline if you buy the expansions. And it's it's a really crunchy but fun co-op game. It's, it's a co-op game for like the gamerist of gamers, right? It's not the co-op game that you try and get your kids to play with you. It's the co-op game that you play with all the hardcore gamers that have come over one night and you know that you can dig into it. And it's it's super fun and super thematic and it really does a good job of capturing the world. And most importantly, I had a blast playing it. An absolute blast. There's some really cool ideas in here. I love the way the aliens spawn. I love the fact that the blips move around before you have line of sight and that that's a surprise every time. And that's a terrifying one at that. Uh, the mechanic with the endurance deck is genuinely interesting and engaging because as a team, you have to work around the supplies that you have and managing them and when you burn them and when you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's awesome. It's a really good gameplay hook that is really kind of... Uh, that's where the, the core like game is, is you're managing that deck, and that's really neat. A lot of dice chucking, too, for you, uh, for you folks out there. I, I would say, if you want a simpler version of this, go play Space Hulk. Okay. This is Space Hulk on steroids. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 111 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. And Robert, any final thoughts? So yes, since we have been talking, it has gotten 21 degrees cooler where I live. That's crazy, man. Yeah. No, that's what I'm used to. I'm used to it getting like in the 50s and 60s overnight. Me and the wife went out in the backyard and just sat around and drank a soda. And we were out there from like 11 to midnight and it was 92 degrees, which is nuts out here. It is nutter butters. actually insane. I can't ever, never remember seeing those temperatures up in that part of the country. Yeah, no. And I was really worried that this was going to be like my Texas freeze. But you know what, Jonathan? Didn't have a brownout, none a blip. Oregon power grid, A-OK. A-OK. How dare you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the library was open extra late, just in case people need to cool off this weekend. Oregon, man, we take care of our own. Well, there's only one thing left, Robert, and that is to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 